Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, let's get into the Word. Uh, we're, in, we're in Nehemiah Nehemiah 6, but before we go there, uh, the, I felt the Lord draw us to Galatians 5 as we sit in Nehemiah 6 today and we teach through Nehemiah 6, but you're going to see this really interesting link as we come to Galatians 5. As a, as a staff, we meet every Tuesday morning for worship, word and prayer. So we worship together, uh, we read the word together and then we pray together and we say that's the most important thing we're going to do all week long. Uh, everything else has to submit to that. We might have deadlines. There might be other things we're gonna get to, but that is the thing that's gonna hold us together and define us as a church, a church that's worshipping Him, that's in His Word, and that's praying together. And at the moment, we're reading Galatians. And this coming Tuesday, we're gonna read this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, or underline, circle, highlight, say it to your neighbour, do whatever you got to do to remember that. Stand, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jump ahead, verse four. You are served from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, the law or not the law, grace counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Only grace, faith working through love. You know, there's another translation where it says, who has cut in on you? You are running so well. Who is cutting on you? Who is cutting on you? As we come to Nehemiah, it's really interesting. We get to this point in Nehemiah 6, we've been looking at the building of the wall, yeah? And we've looked at the fact that it started off with this place of prayer. We looked at the fact that he then, he then found this beautiful sense of purpose as he came to King Artaxerxes, this prophetic purpose that God had given him to go. And he got resourced, he got released, ratified and resourced from the King, of Artax- King Artaxerxes to go and rebuild the wall. And then he gets to the wall and what happens? He inspires the people and they say, yeah, let's get to work. They're inspired by this mission, by this sense of call of God and out they go and they start building and it says that they build with all of their might. And it says a half of the wall got built and you're like, this is so good. And we had Lego everywhere. And we're like, look how good it is. But even when you get halfway there, there's still rubble everywhere. And sometimes in the midst of building the kingdom, in the midst of following the call of God upon our lives, we can get discouraged And then we see more discouragement, which starts to happen through persecution. As the people start to to violently and aggressively come against the people of God, we see to start with, it's it's sort of mockery. You know, it starts with this, what do you think you're doing? Like how the heck is you, like this is ridiculous. And it's mockery, this sense of, you don't know what you're doing. This is impossible. You won't achieve this. And then we saw that mockery actually starts to become kind of aggression, persecution, as these guys start to realise, oh, hang on, 
This wall's going up. This wall's going up. So what's our next step? They start to attack from the outside. We get an enemy outside the gate. And that we all face at some, in some way, shape or form, some sort of attack from the enemy outside the gate. We have to be aware. We have to be aware. And then last week we had a look at this whole idea that there's not just an enemy outside the gate because if the enemy can't get us from the outside, he's gonna try and get us from the inside. And we can see that division can be something that can rise up and begin to tear the church down. And then the fascinating thing about today as you come to Nehemiah 6 is that Maybe the enemy can't get you from the outside through persecution. Maybe he's not gonna get you through division because we stand together in unity. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna start to come against the people of God through distraction. That if he can't get you through derision, if he can't get you through division, he will come against us through distraction. And I think right now, this is the most important word for the Western church that we must be aware of, amen? That we live in a world of plenty. We live in a world we want for nothing. Joe and I were talking about this in the car the other day. We're like, you know, like we are so rich. And some of us will go, oh, I'm poor. I don't have very much. I don't have this. No, no, no. If you live in the West, you are rich. If you own a car, you're in like, what, the top? 3% of people in the world in terms of wealth, we are rich. And the world that we live in is full of distractions, full of things that are trying to cut in on us and try and push us off course and try and get us away from the call of God to the work of the kingdom. Remember, the wall is a kingdom type. That's six weeks of Nehemiah's summary right there. All right, we're good? Fantastic. All right, Um, so let's dive into Nehemiah 6 and just begin this. Nehemiah 6, starting from verse one. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, everyone say enemies, heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. That means the wall is like totally done. No breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Which means the wall itself is built, but there's still a gap because the doors, the wall, the the gates haven't gone in. So they are so close, yeah? So, so, so close. They've resisted all this stuff and they are now so close to the wall being finished. So what does Sambalat and Geshem do? Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. They intended to do me harm. You know, uh, many, many years ago, when I, when I was teaching at Concordia, my very first year there, 2006, we had this great idea that we would have at the, at the sports day, Athletics Day, that we would have a mascot race. So basically, there was always someone who didn't wanna do anything. And we thought, well, rather than having them be a distraction, let's invite them to dress up and become a mascot for their house, which these people embraced with everything within them. They were like, that's the best idea. And did they come dressed up? Like there were, there were costumes, there were these ginormous 
foam heads that went on. Like there was, it was crazy. These mascots went all out. And so it came time for the mascot race. And the whole school was sitting there in the grandstand watching the mascot race. They're all lined up. There's energy, there's excitement, there's joy and laughter. And it was wonderful. And then the gun went off, ready, set, go. And off they went, all laughing, fun. Everyone was getting into it. And then one person got distracted. And instead of just running the race with his eyes on the lane in front, looked up to the crowd. Happened to have a large foam head. (laughs) Happened to have a very large flag in the left hand. The crowd was on the right hand. And as he ran and looked up, the flag went out, hitting the mascot next to him, who also had all sorts of get up going on, which caused that person to stumble into the lane next to them which caused another mascot next to him to trip and fall and slam their head into the railing on the side of the track, knocking them out, opening up a rather large gash and causing what began with joy and excitement and a real sense of fun to never happen again. I believe they call it occupational health and safety. (laughs) Never again did that race happen. Everything got stopped, the ambulance came in and it was just an absolute schmozzle, an absolute mess. All because one guy cut in on someone else. And the reason he cut in on someone else was because he got distracted. And rather than keeping his eyes exactly where he was supposed to keep his eyes and keeping he, running his race, he looked to the fans for a moment of self-glorification. <laughs> thinking, look at me, lapping it in. You know, it's interesting to me that Paul in, 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 the, in the epistles, he talks a lot about this idea of running the race, that, that faith, that the kingdom work of God, he links it beautifully with with running the race. And I think of 1 Corinthians 9, which we'll put up on the screen so you can follow along. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, through 27, we read this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, everyone say run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Over and again, Paul exhorts his people to run the race, to finish the race, to run well, to to. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He's encouraging us, don't get distracted. That this mission is important, that this mission matters. And so keep running, keep running, keep running. And this is exactly what we see in the book of Nehemiah. You see, as Nehemiah comes and the work is almost done and he's been through persecution and he's been through inward division and he's, he's managed to lead through all of this stuff and God has been faithful and God has been good and they have seen the work of the wall go up. They've seen great fruit. They've seen 
God on the move. It's been a miraculous move of God. And then the last attack that comes against Nehemiah is simply an invitation. Watch it, it's an invitation. Now when Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, the rest of Adamese heard that the wall had been built, blah, 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 they said to me saying, come and let's meet together. It's an invitation. How many of you know that sometimes there are invitations in life that are actually distractions from kingdom purpose? I've got a vivid memory when I was in year eight of a, of a year 11 student by the name of Paul Smith. I just named him. And his clan, and he had the big undercut, the zero undercut, like with the hair flowing and everyone knew that Paul just had a few things going on in life. And I remember as a year eight boy and he was there at the boys' toilets with a group of guys. He goes, hey, Dave, hey, Dave, come here. An invitation. And in that moment, I had an option. I could have gone with Paul and his merry crew or I could have turned around and walked the other way. And there was something in me that just said, That's not a good idea. (laughs) Don't go to Ono. Say Ono. You see, sometimes there's these invitations and something within our spirit will just say, no, 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 this is not a good idea. And he discerned in his spirit that they were out to harm him. Yeah? Yeah? There are some invitations, there are some opportunities that are things we need to learn to say no to because we know they're not beneficial. And you know, there's a couple of ways you can look at this because you can read it from the perspective of how it's written right there and just read that last bit where it says I, like, that he knew that they were, he discerned that they were out to harm him. Or you can actually read it in the lens of the historical context and realise what's going on here. Because what's going on here is, is effectively a, a peace treaty offer that to the external, on the surface, to the world, this actually looks like a really good opportunity. That there has been conflict, there has been these these people fighting against the Jews, that they've been coming against them, that there's been, we don't want this to happen. And you've got to understand, Sanballat is the governor of Samaria, right? Nehemiah is the governor of Judah. They have political relationships. It's a good idea to be in good harmony with one another. And so Sanballat, as a last ditch resort, says, hey, come to Ono. And Ono is about 50 kilometres away from Jerusalem, right on the border between Samaria and Israel, Judah, right? It's right on the border. So it's not, it, it, it's, it's not foreign territory, but it's not home. It's this weird space of compromise. And this is what the Lord has just opened my eyes to. What we see sometimes, it looks like a good opportunity. Peace treaty, who doesn't want peace? This is what the whole wall's been about, church. We've been talking about the shalom of God. The reason Nehemiah got called was so that Judah could rediscover a sense of peace, a sense of their identity in Christ. And now the offer comes, hey, come, come to Ono, let's have a conversation. And so he could go to Ono or he could say, come on church, you're better than that. He could go to Ono or he could say, Oh no! Oh no, I'm not going to Ono. Because though on the surface, it seems like a good idea, underneath it is drawing me away from my kingdom call. We need to understand this church, in the West, there are a lot of good opportunities. 
There are a lot of offers on the table. There are a lot of things we could do, but that doesn't mean that we should necessarily do them. Just because something is a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. Just because something is a good opportunity doesn't mean it is a God opportunity. Are you with me, church? Can I come right to your front door this morning? Can we get real? Can we talk about sport? I love sport, you know that. My family were involved in sport pretty almost every night of the week. Sport is a good thing. It's a great opportunity. It's a great place for us to build relationship, to learn skills. We talked about this building out the front of our house. We need to be involved in things like community sport. We need to be engaged in our community and serving and investing. Hear me, I'm all for it unless it draws me away from Christ. If it's become an idol, you gotta say, oh no, because it's become oh no. How do you know if it's become an idol? Ask yourself the question, is it drawing me nearer to Jesus or taking me away? It's awfully quiet in this place. Is it drawing me near to Jesus or is it taking me away? Is it causing me to lean into Him and and rely on Him and want to be in His presence and want to know Him more and therefore take that love out to the world? Or is it becoming a distraction that is filling my time and stopping me from actually doing what truly matters? Jobs. Not every job offer is a God offer. How do you know? Is it leading you nearer and dearer to the heart of Christ? If it is causing you to lean into Christ, to lean into His people, to lean into His presence, praise God. Go and be His hands and feet and build the wall out the front of your house. But if that job is taking you away from the kingdom call of God and causing you to be distant from Him, you need to say, we'll get there by the end of this message. Not every invitation is a good invitation, even if on the surface it appears like peace. If it's not shalom, then we need to learn to say no. There are some opportunities we gotta say, no, 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 that's not for me because it's taking me away from the things of God and it's drawing me into the things of the world. We need to be in the world but not of the world. We need to know when it's time to go to oh no, but it's not when the wall's not finished. The first thing, the first distraction that comes against the people of God, that comes against Nehemiah and it comes against us is the distraction of invitation. Here's the second distraction, keep reading. They intended to do me harm, verse three, and I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work. Oh, we're gonna come back to that. And I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Underline the word down. And they sent to me four times persistence in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter. That means a public thing. An open letter, that's someone on Facebook, boom. That's a troll. In 
it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it also. (laughs) He says it also that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let's make peace. Let's come and take counsel in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. Uh, Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Friends, the second distraction, the first one's invitation. The second one is accusation. We live in a world where people love to say everyone thinks. You ever been there? You ever been there? Let me translate this to English. This is, this is someone at school and someone comes up and says, OMG, can you believe Barbara just told me that Marion said that Wendy says that everyone thinks you're a cow. <laughs> That's modern English. It's reported among the nations. And and Geshem says it too. (laughs) Even Geshem. And Nehemiah's like, Geshem's been my flipping enemy from day one. Here's the thing. Can I teach you a word? Can I teach you something? Especially young people. Can I teach you something? Here's a word that's gonna help you a lot in the next couple of years. You ready for it? You can say it after me. It goes like this. Whatever. (laughs) Go on, try it. Ready? One, two, three, go. There's another one, more Australian. It's like, righto. (laughs) Try that, ready, go. It's so empowering, right? Because when someone comes to you and they just say, oh, this this person said this and that person said that and I can't believe that. And instead of just going, oh my gosh. And then like going on and then being offended because someone might have said something to someone else who may have said something to someone else and maybe, just maybe that's got around. Now everyone thinks you're this. Instead of getting offended, you could know who you are. And you could say, whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you think. Church, if the church, if people in the church would stop getting offended by people's accusations, instead of our hearts being drawn away from the work of the wall, we would press on into the work and see the kingdom of God advance on the earth. Stop being offended. People can say what they wanna say. You are a king's kid. The threat here is even the king will know. Nehemiah's like, the king sent me, you idiots. Do you not know I'm the cup bearer to the king? Your threats mean nothing because they are filled with lies. I don't care if someone wants to lie about me. It truly does not bother me because I know that I'm a king's kid. If they speak truth over you and the Spirit of God convicts you, repent and change. But when someone is whispering lies or spreading lies or speaking hate, why does it bother us? Nehemiah's like, no such thing is being said. And I think he's laughing, honestly. I think he's like, you guys are more stupid than I thought you were. You think I'm gonna bow to an accusation? 
Really? Don't you know that I've been released, ratified and resourced by the King to do this very work? You will not cause me to get off track because I know who I am. The problem in the church is that people don't know who they are because our identity is being formed by people's opinions of us from the number of thumbs up we have on a particular post rather than by what God has spoken in His Word. And I'm gonna go on my rant again, church. Read the I reckon I, you know I say it every week and I'm gonna keep saying it until something changes. Where we have the Word in our hearts, where this is written on our hearts, where we begin to have conversations and the truth of God starts to flow, the character, the fruit of the Spirit starts to be manifest in our lives as the Word takes root in good soil, prepped by the Spirit that we might bear kingdom fruit, not be distracted, not compromise our values because someone's invited us to say, hey, 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 you're being like, just come over and just make peace with the world. What you're saying is really offensive. The way you live is offensive to my sensibilities. So I'm gonna invite you now to compromise through the accusation that the way you live is offensive to Christ when actually the way that we are called to live is truth in love. That we wouldn't bend and bow and accept any invitation because someone said something that could possibly be offensive. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. It, come back to Galatians, it is for freedom. Oh, you're not excited enough about this. It is for freedom. Freedom means from opinions of people. You don't have to bow to someone's opinion. Their opinion does not have to hit you like an arrow and go cause your life to go spiralling out of control because they said something. No, know the truth and you'll be free from people's opinions. You'll be free from that weight of expectation because you know who you are in Him. Whatever. Say it loud, whatever. It's such a good word. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Number three, keep reading. Invitation, accusation, the third distraction that comes against the people of God is intimidation. Everyone say intimidation. Watch this. Verse nine, for they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will be done. Not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehri, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God. Listen to this, within the temple. So let's meet together in the house of God within the temple, right? Nehemiah's not a priest. To go into the temple, at this point in time, you're a priest because you're in Christ. He couldn't enter that presence. He couldn't go into that place. It would be a sin against God. Come, invitation. Let's meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But, oh, this is so good. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away? 
And what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to torment me. Friends, you've got to understand, when we are on about the kingdom work of God, if invitation to compromise doesn't work, if accusation doesn't hit, intimidation will follow. And it will go from being polite, private conversations to very public, nasty accusations. Seeking to tear down, seeking to kill, steal and destroy. Who does that sound like? The work of the devil. That the world will start to come against the church in an intimidatory way. Hands up if you think that just maybe we're beginning to see some of that in our generation. Do you know what we call it? We call it cancel culture. Where we're just gonna intimidate you into shutting up and not having a voice. So what do we do? Nehemiah gets this threat. They're gonna come and kill you, bro. You gotta go and hide. And the intimidation is always to fill us with fear and lead us into sin. Lead us again away from the kingdom work of the wall. Nehemiah, oh, he says, should such a man as I run away? Again, no who you are in Him. Know who you are. And this just makes me wanna preach Ephesians 6.10. Because when you know who you are, you know whose you are, and you know the one who stands judge of all. You know the one, and we read it just before, the one who is creator to the very ends of the earth. Amen. You know, the one who is almighty and all powerful, the one who has weapons. And we've got to start to realise that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God through the tearing down of strongholds. And we have to start to realise that the church of Jesus Christ has a mission that is too important to cower and run. Why should such a man as I flee? No, no, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Pick up the helmet of salvation. Know the thoughts, know the gospel, know who you are, get the truth in you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are washed clean in Him. You are sanctified in Him, being sanctified and will be sanctified in Him. Put on the belt of truth. There is a truth that we can stand on and believe in and live by and proclaim and not bow to. And there is the gospel, the feet fixed with the readiness of the gospel of peace. The Gospel, the Gospel, Jesus Christ, Jesus. It's all about Him that we walk in the beautiful, wonderful, glorious truth that Jesus Christ has set me free. And then I pick up my shield of faith by which I will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Remember the arrows in Scripture are to our thoughts. So we pick up that shield of faith. So you might be coming to accuse and intimidate, but I will stand firm in the faith that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And then guess what? We got a sword. Start to swing that bad boy around. When they come against you with lies, declare the truth of God into a particular situation and watch the glorious sword do its work. Oh, I feel like preaching. Get the sword out. 
Read the Word, but don't just read it, meditate on it, chew on it, allow the Word to get in your guts so that when you're in a particular situation, rather than relying on the wisdom of man, you can rely on the wisdom of God. And when the opportunity to go to oh no comes up, you can discern and say, oh no. For you intend to do me harm. And you know what people miss all the time? From the armour, it actually keeps going. It doesn't finish with the sword. It says, and pray. Amen. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Come back, come back. Come here, come here. Come back to Nehemiah. Just notice that moment. Verse nine, for they wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. What does he do? Right here. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. He prays. It's not a very profound prayer, is it? Have you noticed that? In fact, when you look at a lot of Nehemiah's prayers, they're not like a Pauline prayer. Pauline is like the theological term for Paul. It's not a woman. <laughs> I had a friend's mum whose name was Pauline, but... You know, some of Paul's prayers, you're like, jeepers, I wish I could pray like that. You can, because you got the words. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> but this is the point. Like, it's so simple. He just goes, oh Lord, strengthen my hands. When fear assails... Simple prayer, oh Lord, strengthen my hands. Last night, we had some of the most beautiful conversations with some very dear people in our lives who are going through a whole lot. And we talked about suffering. This is at a wedding. It was great, but we had some deep, deep conversations. We talked about suffering. We talked about where is God in suffering. We talked about all these things. And this person, one of the things he said to me, he goes, you know, sometimes I actually have no words but I am on my knees and all I have is a cry. That's a weapon. Use it. Band, you can come up. We gotta close. But I wanna show you one more thing. How does Nehemiah, what keeps Nehemiah? How's, how is he aware that these are distractions? How does he know these distractions? How can he go, that invitation's not of God. That accusation's not gonna land. That intimidation's not gonna stop me. How does he be in that place? It all comes back to verse three. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down to you. I am on about a great work. How many of you know that the gospel is a great work that God has done? How many of you know that it is good news? How many of you believe the gospel is truly good news? When we have good news, life, like genuine life, like if you're the person who discovered penicillin, right? If you truly believe that outside of Christ, that all will fall in their sin, which as the church, we profess, there is one way to the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you invented penicillin, if you, do you believe that would be good news to a world dying from simple diseases? So what do you do with that good news? You share it. You stay focused and fixed on it. You don't allow yourself to be distracted from that task. You say, no, 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 my life is about this. And I need people to know it. Friends, we have good news. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God advancing on the earth. It is good news. It is a wall worth building. It is a life worth surrendering everything to because it is the true and only hope of the world. That's why God gave the Spirit to His church that we would pick up the sword and the trowel, that we would be a people who are building the kingdom because it is the only hope. It is the only hope for Shalom. Peace treaties, these things are gonna fall away, but the kingdom of God will stand forever. And He's given us this task and Nehemiah gets it. He goes, I am on about a great work. It's that focus that enables him to realise that he doesn't need to waste energy on his enemies. He just has to fix his eyes on what God has given him to do. Love your enemies, yes. Pray for your enemies, yes. Long for them to be transformed, yes. Compromise, oh no. of it. The wall is a great work. It is so worth our time. It is so worth our lives. Don't let the enemy cut in on you. And I felt in my spirit preparing this this week that there are many here just turn their eyes to something else. Maybe it's the great opportunities that are in front of you. It's like the crowd cheering you on. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you, God. But instead of running the race, you're running to the crowd. Maybe it's difficulty, hardship, suffering. you. The hope we have is that Nehemiah is a type who points to the one who wasn't distracted, who didn't get led off path, who though the enemy invited him into a great opportunity, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll bow to me. He chose to say no. who when the enemy invited him to come down from the cross and not finish the wall, though it was so close, so close, he's hanging on the cross, all the taunts come down and show us, prove to all these people that you're the Christ, prove to everyone who you are. Do you know how tempting that would have been? I would have been like, damn straight. Jesus chose to stay. He finished the work. Do you see the parallels? He even said, it is finished. He didn't abandon the doors and the gates. He put the gate in place, which was his body, so that we could go through the gate into Shalom. Though they accused him and yelled at him and Pilate and all the guys said what their thing. It says though, as a sheep before a shearer is silent. 
so was Christ. Accusations didn't throw him. Intimidation didn't throw him. He just went, whatever. You can say what you want. Even Pilate, are you the one? He goes, you've said it. <laughs> That's right, eh? Whatever. Jesus is the fulfilment of all that the picture of Nehemiah is. And therefore, we have hope. And therefore, though we stumble and though we fall and though we grow tired and though we grow weary and though sometimes we get stuff wrong and though sometimes we miss the mark and we get our eyes all over the place, the beautiful truth is that He is enough. And the Bible tells us that all we are called to do is therefore fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, which is us and our salvation, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. Keep running, friends. Keep running, keep running, keep running, keep running. Keep running. That you might finish the race. And just like Paul, oh, my heart longs for that day that I might be able to say through his power and might working in me, like Paul, say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, oh, which we're gonna to get to lay at the feet of Christ as we bow before Him with the host of heaven, singing holy, holy, holy is the one who is and who was and who is to come. That's our reward. Friends, Brian, I've got further up and further in in my heart, Narnia, you know that passage? We get so distracted by the things of this world and it's so, it, is, it, it, it seems so big and it seems so real. But what we're gonna find one day is that as we go further up and further in, into the, if you haven't read Narnia, read The Last Battle, it's so good. But it's like the kingdom gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more glorious. And we realise how insignificant the light and momentary struggles, the sufferings that we face on this, even our, our achievements, all of them are just nothing compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, that we would be that people. And so here's what we're gonna do. In the next two minutes, I'm gonna invite some of you, this is gonna be so awesome and so comfortable and in your zone. And for some of you, you're about to be very uncomfortable, but that's okay because Christ called us to a cross, not to comfort, didn't He? we're gonna spend some time in groups praying for one another because you are the priesthood to encourage one another, to build one another up in the most holy faith, to encourage each other to keep running the race. And here's the encouragement. We're gonna ask you to stand up and maybe, maybe go to someone or somewhere that you don't know and just take a few moments to pray with one another. Now, if you're a visitor here, this is your first time you think this guy's crazy, what's he doing? I'm not even sure if I know this Jesus, that's okay. As that happens, just sit quietly and someone will encourage you. Just be like, no, I'm good. Someone will encourage you. Don't feel like you have to. But let's, let's be that priesthood who encourage one another in the faith, amen. So 
five minutes, spread out, take some time to pray for one another then we'll sing and close. As you go, I'll pray. Lord, thanks for this beautiful word in Nehemiah. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you'd bless us now as we gather. Lord, just reveal your word to us, encourage us in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.